Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode 289. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lended FinTech USA, the world's largest FinTech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lender's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27 to 29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lender's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lender is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lended Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Sign up today at lendit.com USA. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Claire Tompkins. She is the CEO and founder of Future Family. Now, as the name implies, uh, Future Family is, is for those people who are looking to start a family via fertility treatment. That obviously costs a lot of money these days, and uh, Future Family can provide uh, financing help for that. And they do that in, in some creative ways, uh, which we talk about in some depth. We uh, talk about their underwriting and we also talk about how this is, you know, they're creating a community that is more than about just, uh, just lending and, and, and obtaining financing. They're really helping their clients through the entire process of fertility treatment and, and beyond. And really is interesting what uh, some of the, some of the ideas that uh, Claire has there. And uh, we talk about who's funding these loans and their business model and, and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thanks, Peter. Great to be here. Okay, so I'd like to get these things started by giving the listeners some background. You've you've had a, an interesting career, not uh, not super typical for a tech entrepreneur. But why don't you give us uh, some of the highlights? What you did before Future Family? Yeah, absolutely. I thanks for teaming that up. I, I recently had to go back and speak at my alma mater. And I remember the introduction and thinking, wow, like it's a sort of eclectic or perhaps unfocused <laughs> background. <laughs> I, I guess I always say, you know, for folks out there, I kind of, who may be in similar shoes, I think I discovered a little bit later in life that entrepreneurship was my true calling, but I certainly always was interested in being on the problem solving side. And was an engineer um, by training and came to the, the Valley to pursue a PhD at Stanford. Um, I get asked a lot whether I would recommend that to people. And I, I think the verdict's a little bit still out, but generally I'm, <laughs> I'm generally, I do not re- necessarily am a huge proponent. Um, and then I moved into the clean energy, clean tech space. And I actually had the opportunity to um, lead the product marketing team during the hyper growth years at Solar City. So that was, that was a thrill. That was a great experience. And then made the logical leap from uh, solar into fertility, of course. Um, right. That doesn't everybody. <laughs> exactly. As, as one does in the Valley. So. Right. So then um, maybe we can just talk a little bit about the, the, before we get into the details of your business, I mean, you mentioned you're in the fertility space. So tell us a little bit about that space and what, what is, what, what was missing? What's, what's wrong with the space today? Yeah, well, so I, I got the firsthand experience of what was missing or broken in this space by actually coming in as a patient. So that that sort of uh, leap from solar to fertility was was purely based on having gone through it myself. And I think a couple of things, I mean, it was an interesting experience for someone who'd never been in 
in healthcare. My annual, I went to the doctor's office for an annual visit and it was more like a social event than a, you know, real healthcare thing. And then the, my first foray into the medical system was going through fertility treatment. And it was eye-opening that here we were right, uh, you know, just off of uh, 280, just past Sand Hill Road. And it was all, you know, paper charts and everything was being done manually. There was nothing digital. And at the end of the day, you know, they send you about, you know, 23 bills with different line items. It was incredibly expensive process. And it just was a head scratcher for me on, wow, how is this, how is this ever going to be a mainstream or consumer experience? Right, right. So then is like, maybe you could tell us like, how, how big is this industry? We've been, well, I got to admit, we've never had anyone on the, on the show from this space. So why don't you discuss a little bit of the stats on the industry itself? Yeah, well, here's the, yeah, exactly. And here's the interesting thing that, and this is where like the actual leap from solar fertility makes a little more sense for folks is that, you know, getting into the solar industry in the early days, it was, you know, what the early 2000s, and there were about like 10,000 installations, and it was all one profile. It was like, you know, environmentalists who, you know, had cash, and they were having people come out and bolt solar panels on their house. And so it was a really tiny market. And then it grew up to be a, you know, trillion, multi-trillion dollar market globally, multi-billion dollar market in the U.S. And it all happened very quickly over the course of seven to nine years. And I think there's an analogy to fertility. Today, it's about a $5 billion, $6 billion market in the U.S., but it's just like solar in the early days. It's a cash market. And it's hard to emphasize enough how markets change and change quickly when you move from a cash market to a finance market. Mm. And so that was our innovation at Solar City. It was this idea that if you wanted to make solar mainstream, if you wanted to consumerize the space, you needed to offer people a package deal. So full service, $250 a month, put solar panels on your roof, lower your energy bill, all the things. And you know, you look at the fertility space and it's like 2% of the population is getting IVF today. We'll talk about how many people actually need it. Um, we think it's going to approach 20%. Right. Uh, but 2% are getting IVF today and it's cash pay. So that five to $6 billion US market, that $30 billion global market is poised to expand rapidly with the advent of more consumer-friendly products and particularly more financing solutions. Yeah, I think I was reading something just the other day, actually, that talked about male fertility. Male fertility yeah. is dropping dramatically and it's they say it's that's probably going to be a growth, uh, growth factor for you guys as well, I imagine. It was already, you know, documented that, you know, about one in eight couples face, you know, some sort of fertility challenge. And exactly to your point, it's because it's, there's male factor fertility issues as well as female factors. It's about one in eight already, which is, uh, you know, a large percentage of the population. And we think that with the age related, you know, rise in fertility challenges, that that could soon be as much as one in five. So really, you know, 20% of the population that needs some support to help start and expand their family. Right, right. So then, you know, you said you came, you came at this from uh, from a personal experience. So yeah. maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the founding story uh, for Future Family. Yeah, well, I mean, as I mentioned, obviously, like a gung-ho clean, clean tech executive and following kind of my passion in that area. But um, like so many women that I've met since uh, starting Future Family, you know, in my early 30s, starting to to work on building my own family 
and uh, starting IVF and just discovering that it was, you know, initially very exciting because there was this technology to start a family and wow, but it was, it ended up being a difficult journey and it took about two and a half years, a price tag that my husband likes to compare to having actually purchased a Tesla. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I think now that Natalie's a little older, he's, he's glad of the choice we made um, on that front, but uh yeah, it was like quite, it was quite the ordeal. And I would say, obviously, that probably what impacted me the most, it's probably true of a lot of people who found companies was like, was the, the personal and emotional side. It was, a, it was a deeply emotional and kind of isolating experience uh-huh. to go through round after round of failure, um, multiple miscarriages. And obviously, most of this was just kept under wraps, you know, while we were going through it. And then coming out the other side and, and really over dinner one night, you know, I still remember saying to my husband, God, I mean, someone needs to do something about this space. Like this cannot be, it cannot be so, so important, you know, to be able to start a family and, and, and yet be so challenging. And that was the, that ended up being the, the beginning of the seed of the idea around future family. Right. Cause I imagine there's probably, well, I don't know how many, but probably millions of, of women out, women out there that probably the can't afford IVF and they have, and they don't feel like there's any options. So they just don't, they just, uh, they don't do it. And, uh, and that's so, I mean, maybe we can yeah. s- start with the, like what, explain the core product, how, what's, what sort of financing do you offer? What, what's, you know, what, what are you, what are you offering to people coming to future family? Yeah. So the product design. So there's a few different things here. So, you know, First of all, a single round to educate the audience, a single round of IVF in the US today is costing about 22,000 on average. It varies by clinic and by geography and by whatever procedure you choose. But if we're just talking averages about mm-hmm. 22,000 and that's that's what we call like the fully loaded cost, meaning there's clinic fees, there's pharmacy fees, and there might be ancillary costs like genetic testing um, and surgical or other fees that are involved. But about 22K and you may, as just discussed, you need more than one round of IVF. So I think, you know, what we're doing at Future Family is offering consumers a way to get started that doesn't involve having a financial barrier. And frankly, that should be the kind of the smart way, the smart financial way when you think about starting your family to, to move forward. So we offer a packaged financial product with wraparound services. It's a totally vertical solution and it's built around fertility patients and the fertility industry. And so the package itself is, as you would imagine, you can get an IVF, um, you can start IVF for somewhere between 350 and 450 a month, depending on what your package includes, and you'll have these wraparound services. And that includes our custom fertility coaching platform. So we have a digital health layer at Future Family. We connect all of our clients or patients with registered nurses who are clinically trained in fertility, and they coach them through this experience of getting IVF or increasingly we have a lot of freezing patients, which we can talk about, but this through this experience of going through fertility treatment. And it is, it's a complex journey with a lot of questions along the way. Right. So can you maybe tell us the, what, what's, what's the demographic of the, of the people coming to you today, particularly like economically is more what I'm thinking about. What, like who, who are your typical, um, your typical borrowers? Yeah. So what I love about it is it, it, it is an absolutely broad cross-section geographically in the U.S. and um, in terms of all the demographic variables. And I think we would expect that because look at how fintech is changing the landscape for, I mean, I don't care if it's retail or, you know, looking at uh, service services, including, of course, healthcare and elective 
healthcare where we are, as well as durable goods, like the whole space is being changed. And I think you, you, don't, you need to look no farther than the recent um, IPO. You know, a firm went out um, not too long ago and what, what is it, about a third of their revenue is being driven through Peloton? Right. Peloton is now being consumed as a monthly purchase. Mm-hmm. Almost all consumers are looking to even out their cash flows, trade, you know, CapEx and OpEx. And this is, I think, something that will continue to eat the entire ecosystem. So we see the same thing reflected. This is not a product that, this is a product that's broadly designed around access, but it's also designed for all consumers who are thinking about going through fertility. I mean, if you have a choice with future family, very, very low rates starting at 599. And, you know, if you have a choice between doing that or using, you know, savings or higher interest forms of debt, et cetera, you're going to come to us. And so that's that's what we're seeing today in the market. All right. So then tell us a little bit about the underwriting process, because I imagine you can't accept everybody who, who comes through the door, your virtual door. You know, what, what are the criteria that you're using? Yeah. Yeah. So on the underwriting side, we are today, and this is probably representative of a lot of early stage fintech companies, certainly anybody who's doing financing on platform, which we are. We're starting at 680 and we, so we go 680 and above. And then, you know, we really are originating today a, really a prime portfolio. Our portfolio is benchmarking into the you know, mid 700s in terms of the overall credit score. Now, we certainly care about access. So just a reminder on stats in the U.S. today, about 65%, 65 seven, close to 70% of the U.S. population is 680 and above. Mm-hmm. So you're not, this is not a huge TAM restrictor. You're not getting everybody at 680 FICO, but you're getting a lot of folks. But now let me add in one more layer that's specific to fertility, which is that, you know, if you think about it, it's a unique category and families come together to support each other around fertility, around right. family. So we have today a friends and family product that we rolled live. It was in beta last year. And this product allows any family member, parent, grandparent-to-be, sibling, you know, other members of your family, and even really close friends to sponsor your fertility treatment. And so I personally love this because it came, the idea came from existing clients of ours who asked if there was a way that family members could contribute. And so we built this product. And now what it really says is not if you have 680 credit or above, but if you have someone in your family, in your network who wants to sponsor your treatment plan, you can do that. And, And that's all possible today. So are they so so that they're a, they're a co-signer on the loan, are they, or do you do the loan just in that other person's name? How does it work? And, yeah, they're really a sponsor. They take out the loan on behalf of the patient, and so it's really like a I'm you know sponsoring you on your behalf. And actually, you know, for those who are obviously tuning in who are more on the fintech kind of geeky side, it just performs much better than a co-signer loan. So we've moved away from any sort of co-signer loans or relationships into this product where and and infertility it happens all the time. Moms who want to pay for egg freezing, dads who want to sponsor their um, daughter-in-law to go through treatment. Because again, fertility challenges sometimes come out of nowhere, right? You're trying for six months, you find out you're going to need this. Um, and so it's often friends and family that kind of come to the rescue. Right. Yeah, that's great. So suddenly your, your total addressable market has gone up dramatically because you can have a, you know, a 60-year-old parent be paying for this, which, who has a great, uh, you know, a great credit score. So that makes it, uh, that makes it really interesting. Uh, so then what, what about the loan terms themselves? Like are these, these five-year loans, three-year, what, what are you offering? 
Yeah, so, so we're building a portfolio of five-year paper. I, I feel like that's a great fit for this market because you're trying to smooth pretty large capital expend, expenditure, right? 25K. And in our case, you may be offering um, multiple multiple plans, multiple. Mm-hmm. So they're so affordable. They're so accessible. If someone needs a second cycle of IVF or treatment, they can get it with us. And that's great. I'd say the question that I get the most from at least investors on the debt side is really about do people not repay their loan when they're not successful? Exactly. So I just want to take that one head on um, because now we have data around it. And the the answer is is really simple. No, Um, there's no correlation with success and repayment on the platform. Now, from my perspective, that's also a little perplexing because it means that there are people who we've helped start their family and they might be delinquent on their loan. but, but But the real insight here is it's all tied to credit. There, what we see is exactly what you would expect. Um, the lower end of the credit spectrum is where, if at all, you see some softness and the rest of the portfolio performs great. And actually people who might need another round of IVF are most interested in keeping a good relationship with their lender and also keeping their credit score high. So we have not seen any of that um, on the platform to date. So can you give us some sense of loan performance? I mean, like delinquencies or, or, or defaults? I mean, when, well, firstly, maybe back up and say, when did you write your first loan? And then give us some sense of how the portfolios perform. Yeah, so we wrote our first loan. You know, this is a typical, you know, bootstrap story of how we built the company. So those first loans were on a Amex guaranteed by, you know, who. And uh, they um, we built that first portfolio back in 2017. And it was, I know it well. I actually know most of the customers in that portfolio. It was a demo portfolio of 50 loans, about a million dollars. And we put that together, start proving out what this portfolio could do. And we had a really simple insight that we stand behind, which is we're aiming to build the best performing portfolio in the industry, by which I mean that we will outperform, you name it, any unsecured lender out there. You know, some of them have quite a lot of buzz around the profile of their customer. Our goal is to be a higher performing portfolio than all of those. And it comes down to one simple insight. It's the customers that we're getting onto our platform. We are getting um, customers who are 680 and above, who are in a responsible time of their lives and who are dual income households. Right. So our customers, oh, and they have a personal relationship with our brand. It takes only a moment to just hop over and read some of the reviews, but this is a company built with nurses and others who've been through IVF. So there's a lot of deep empathy on the team. And that is leading to really stellar performance. Um, we have benchmark losses below 4% on a portfolio that's not fully aged, but very close to. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. Yes. So I also mentioned that people, you know, you're, you're not a nameless credit card company or even, an, or even you're, you know, you are mission driven in many ways and the mission to to help, uh, help people with fertility. And I imagine that you've got people who feel very strongly about your brand. I'm, I'm guessing, versus probably a typical a typical fintech company. So, and imagine I imagine that's just like because you've got all these other add-on services, you're you're helping. I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is the biggest decision of someone's life. It's a bigger deal than buying a house. It's a bigger deal than buying a car. This is the biggest deal that people ever make. And some people obviously really want to have children. And uh, so, yeah. So maybe um, is that sort of your whole brand and the, and the ancillary services? I presume is built around really making people more wedded to your brand, right? Yeah. I mean, today that's right. I mean, it's a, you know, today 40% of the staff at Future Family have been through IVF. 
it'd be interesting to see how that changes as we scale, but it's, you know, and, and of course it goes, it goes almost without saying that hundred percent of the staff care about the, the mission and the, the thesis that we're working on, but there's, so that's embedded into kind of the DNA of the company. We're also about 65% female. You know, our goal is to always be at least 50, 50. Cause I think that that look around, that's pretty representative. <laughs> so that's, and I, of course, both in seriousness and a little bit joking, we always say at future family, we hire women and enlightened men. And we have a lot of those on our staff as well. Um, So that's great. But that's right. I mean, we're aiming to build a really great brand into this space because it feels like that was what was missing going through this. I mean, the medical technology is advancing so rapidly. It's, It's such an exciting area that you can now, you know, you might not have been able to have your own children. Now you can go in and you can with with our medical technology, but the other side of the equation, right? The consumerization of this space is still the big opportunity out there. Right, 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 for sure. And so then let's let's just look back at the at the past year. Like we're recording this in, in early March. And yeah. so we're coming up on the one year anniversary of, uh, of lockdowns and craziness that, uh, that happened. And so two questions really, I mean, how did this impact your, your loan portfolio? And then how did this impact demand for your, for your product? Yeah, so it, it was an interesting year to say the least and actually put some thoughts together recently for a Forbes piece on this, which is, so, you know, a couple of things. So I think a lot of us in the lending space had, a, had a, maybe an upside surprise in the sense that 2020, we had lower losses than 2019. And I think that's consistent with what we've seen across the industry, right? Consumers were savvy. They maybe had picked up some lessons from the, the GFC a few years back and they yeah. used savings and stimulus checks and other forms of cash to pay down debt and to make sure that they were in a good credit position. So we also benefited from that. The portfolio did really well this year, but it wasn't without its um, challenges because the industry itself, most of Q2 elective healthcare in the US was closed, if you remember, right. so a year yep. ago in March. It didn't matter if you were doing you know, orthodonture or fertility or some other form of elective healthcare, you were non-essential and you were closed down, but the industry reopened in Q3 and has been coming back in a strong way. So in terms of what it's doing for demand, as my husband likes to say, at least you're in an industry where you, you, you can rely on consistent demand. Um, so, <laughs> so that's one thing. So, you know, people, some people definitely pushed, delayed their plans to start a family because of the COVID impacts, because of sensitivity around, you know, risks of being pregnant during the crisis. But that is really, if anything, represents pent up demand. And, and, and there's been a lot written about consumer sentiment. Now people actually care more than ever about family. It's become like sort of center. So I think what we're seeing is that certainly we've had a very hot start to 2021. And we're anticipating there's just a lot of pent up demand to eat its way through the through the system. Right, right. And then, and what about, um, I've, I've read anecdotally too about egg freezing and more, yeah. more women in their 30s uh, taking that on. And, that, and, and you, you have a, a product for that as well? We do, we, we do. And so here's the interesting about egg freezing, you know, in 2017, 2018, it was about 10,000, what we call cycles. So 10,000, not, not necessarily at the patient level, but measured at cycles, but call it 10,000 women. And there were about 300 thousand couples going through IVF. So, you know, a small market in 2017, 2018, but 2020 was the year of the COVID pandemic and the year that more women than ever decided to freeze their eggs. <laughs> and the two are obviously coupled because if you take a moment, you think, gosh, all, all these women who 
were uh, unfortunately not able to date and also at home in their Lululemon and decided like now is the moment. So um, NYU reported about a 40% CAGR on egg freezing in 2020. Some of our really good clinic partners at Future Family, because we work with clinics across the U.S., also saw a doubling or sometimes in some cases tripling of demand. So maybe one of the things around the pandemic era is that it has started to accelerate egg freezing in a way that many of us have predicted would ultimately happen. Right. And what's the cost? How much does it cost to do an egg freezing? Yeah, so egg freezing is not quite as expensive as IVF, but it's a very similar process. So if an IVF cycle in the U.S. is averaging 22,000, an egg freezing cycle will be averaging around 16,000. And really the the difference is just a little bit less medication um, and that you're not going through a transfer. The the front end of the process is identical. You're going to go in, you're going to have two weeks of stimulating medication. Hence, working from home is really great because you get a little bloated and you're giving yourself shots every day. So the work from home has been a boom for egg freezing. But the um, but yeah, it's about it's similar to the IVF process. Two weeks of stimulating hormones, you're stimulating follicle growth. So you're producing more eggs and then you'll go in for a retrieval process and it'll take about 24 hours of rest or recovery from the, from the egg retrieval, but usually everybody feels pretty good afterwards. And then, you know, then you can put, um, you know, eggs on ice, so to speak. And we've also seen a big tick up in uh, embryo freezing. So egg freezing, you still don't know of those eggs, how many you might be able to use in the future. So it's, you know, I'd say still it's early days, but embryo freezing has some more predictability associated with it. So we've seen also a lot of women doing embryo freezing. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, from, from embryo freezing to capital markets, I'm going to take that segue. And yeah, <laughs> it's not a logical one, but um, I, I'd like to, you know, on the, on the capital side of your business, I mean, I mean, how are you funding these loans? I mean, you're working with a bunch of different partners. What's the, yeah. what are you doing there? Yeah, so our capital structure, so we, we have a great partner. I'm always happy to um, acknowledge them based in New York, um, Adelia Capital Management, who stood up our first credit facility. So mm-hmm. we work with them. We have a $100 million credit facility that we jointly operate. And that's similar to a lot of uh, obviously early stage financing companies. So we're, we have a fully uh, remote SPV, bankruptcy remote, et cetera. And we pass the loans through that. And that way we don't have drag on our balance sheet. And that's been a fantastic relationship for us. So that's how we're we're set up on the facility side. But then we've also have, um, we take in, you know, a corporate line and that again covers like the equity strip in the loans. So if you think about how a lot of these early portfolios are built, you still have an equity strip in your loans, right? You're taking an advance rate on, a, on your facility. And mm-hmm. so to cover that equity strip, we took the approach of putting in some corporate debt, which is obviously, you know, very attractive interest rates so that you actually can really get away from using equity on the financing arm of the business. So that has been kind of our structure. And, and of course, like many companies, we're thinking already about how we're going to ultimately build into the securitization markets and, and fully move into um, whole loan sales and so forth. Right, right, right. So then can you, can you give us some sense of the, of the scale you guys, you guys are at today? Yeah, so I think you know, what's been exciting for us have been two things. It's been one that this space is just wide open. So we can say that we're expanding and becoming the the largest originator in this space. So there've been some horizontal players that have, you know, have have been playing in this space before. And I don't think that because they haven't had this vertical uh, solution where they can really 
really offer something differentiated for the consumer. They've never really, what I would say, called gotten to scale. So our view is that we want to end 2021 as the largest originator in this new asset class. And, you know, we certainly will be eating through our $100 million credit facility in the next 12 months and then looking for what's next. Right, right. Okay. So then is, is your prime, I presume your primary source of revenue is, is an origination fee. Is that correct? Or maybe you can just tell us a little bit about, about revenue model and maybe other areas of revenue that you might want to expand into. Yeah. So, so on that side, it's really, it's really about the vertical play, right? So yes, there's an obviously a net interest margin that we make money on, but we actually are structured really around the idea of wraparound services for the consumer. So our revenues derived from membership fees, you know, from consumer fees that come up front, but for the wraparound services that they're receiving, for the fertility coaching that we're monetizing on platform, been able to do so with great margin because it's all digital, as well as the sort of payment management and other support services that consumers take on the platform. So we're able to monetize that layer of wraparound services for the consumer. And I think that's a great placeholder for how the business expands because you're starting your family with us. There's a lot of other products and services we can bring you as your trusted financial partner when you're starting your family. I mean, I say quite openly, like we know about the fact that you're pregnant before Google does, and that's a feat in today's world. Like right. <laughs> I have better data than Google. Like, I know exactly who's starting a family. And who's everything? So, right. you know, we're, we're right there. And so I think for us, it's always been about building that relationship with the consumer, that five-year relationship about starting building their family with them and about the, you know, starts with the services we offer from day one. We're offering fertility coaching. We're offering payment management. We're doing a lot of education and support on platform. And that evolves into additional products and services as you, as you grow your family. Right. I mean, I can imagine there's a lot of, I mean, that data is obviously very valuable. There's a lot of companies that would uh, would, would really love to have that. But, you know, yeah. you, you obviously, I mean, it's interesting to me, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, you could easily have a business here where lending is a very minor part of the business and everything else that's sort of wrapped around is is the core business. So maybe, maybe we could end there and just, uh, I mean, let me just ask, what's your vision? Is this Future family, you don't have anything about finance in your name. You obviously have a, a pretty wide open, you know, different ways you can take this. So, so what's what's the vision for future family? Yeah, so I mean, we we have obviously a lot of building to do, but we have this vision that we can be the place that everybody comes to start their family and and then stays with us to to really build their family. Like I think we're at this pivotal moment where you know financial services and what happens in fintech can really determine a lot about which way we move as a society, right? Because it's a lot about access and it's a lot about financial resources. And we're in a time where the the wealth divide is expanding. And if FinTech is done right, it can pull us all back together. If it's done wrong, it can take take us farther apart. Mm -hmm. So our big vision is we're going to help everybody out there who wants to start and build a family. And we think that's that's what kind of binds a lot of us together in society. And we're starting, obviously, with what we think is the big challenge around fertility, it's going to affect 20% of the population over the next decade. So it's a good place to start, but we're not going to stop there. We want every, you know, women and couple, woman and couple who's thinking about starting a family to come to future family. And, and we will be your financial partner in making that happen. Mm. So, so beyond fertility, it sounds like. Yes. In the long, in the long term. Right. Right. Well, that, that is super interesting. You know, it's a, 
Yeah, you really have. It's, it's a great mission. I mean, obviously, we, we have falling birth rates, so we need to get that. We need to do everything we can to to keep uh, to keep that going. And uh, really, uh, I think it's it's a great idea. It's 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 something that I think is uh, you know is definitely needed. So, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Claire. Peter, great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, see you. Talk soon. You know, I was struck uh, talking with Claire how you know really it really speaks to the the, the possibilities in the in the fintech space where you can really you can take a, a real verticalization approach where that we've seen others others do this in, in, in digital banking and even in lending as well. But what Claire has done here is taken a community that really is it's a really impactful process what these people are going through it's not it's not like you know trying to get a loan for a debt consolidation or buying a car or something like that there's a lot of emotion there's 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 a whole range of different things that people go through when they're doing this so what you know, future family have done is is really create like a support system around that. And I just think that's super interesting. And as I said, you know, lending could just end up being just a small part of of their business as they really uh, you know develop this a lot further. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lended Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. Lended's flagship event is happening online this year on April 27 to 29, with the possibility of an exclusive VIP in-person component. The verdict is in on Lender's 2020 event that was held online, with many people saying it was the best virtual event they had ever attended. Lendit is setting the bar even higher in 2021. So join the fintech community at Lended Fintech USA, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Sign up today at lendit.com/usa.